Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number eight. Today I'm speaking with Justin Maris, the co-author of Traction Book. We discuss the bullseye framework for getting traction as it's presented in the book, as well as a number of case studies of how other startups have gotten traction and how you can take those lessons and apply them to your own company. I'm really excited to chat with Justin today, so let's get started. How's it going, Justin? Going great, Nick. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So I wanted to kick things off uh, to understand a little bit about the book that you have upcoming. I wanted to actually learn in your book, you discuss a framework, specifically the bullseye framework. And I believe that's sort of the thesis behind the book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and specifically the bullseye framework? Sure thing. Yeah. So basically, we wrote Traction Book as a response to the main reason that startups failure. And so if you look at kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, most startups were failing for reasons around like product. And so as a response to that, you know, the lean startup framework and this whole kind of movement came around where because companies were failing due to product related reasons, now they're doing more things like smaller dev cycles, like more iterative testing, like customer development, and really trying to build products that customers want. And so for the most part, the startup community has done a really good job at adopting this. Now, what you see today is just as many startups failing as ever, but you rarely see a company that's like, oh yeah, we failed because we couldn't build something. Instead, the default mode of startup failure has shifted to market-related reasons. So startups are failing because they can't get enough customers, they can't get enough users, they can't raise because you know raise their next round because the traction's not good enough. And so we're seeing like the reason that most companies fail today is actually traction and not product. And so we're writing this book as kind of a response to that to try and help startups approach and think about marketing, traction, and distribution seriously and approach it in kind of the same way that they would approach a product development cycle. So as part of that, like we're introducing this framework called the Bullseye Framework, uh, which much like product development methodology is used to inform what features to build, what type of product you want to build, the bullseye kind of allows you to think about and figure out what traction channels and what activities in terms of marketing will make sense and work for your startup. And so the core of the bullseye framework is uh, threefold. So like basically in any growth phase, you know, whether you're trying to go from one customer to a thousand, from 10,000 to like a million, whatever it is, uh, there's usually one, maybe sometimes two customer acquisition channel that is largely responsible for moving the needle for your startup. And so if you think of like PayPal, for example, like the reason that they got so big was not because they were dabbling in a bunch of channels, it's because they had a viral mechanism that allowed them to grow to millions of users within just like six months. Uh, And so the bullseye framework basically helps you find the one traction channel that makes most sense for you and then we, in the book, we introduce like the 19 different channels that you can potentially use to get traction. And the bullseye framework helps you sift through those and decide which channels and find out like which channels make sense for your startup. Got it. So the framework helps you filter through all the different distribution channels that are out there. What Can you elaborate at all about actually what how it does that? Yeah, completely. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like product development. So if you think of product development, you know, someone comes up and they say, 
here's the product that we want to build. Now, out of the universe of potential features we could build, which ones are important, which ones aren't, what should we focus our time on? And so traction, the bullseye framework does a similar thing. So we say, you know, here are the 19 traction channels that businesses, through which businesses can acquire customers. And so then we provide a framework. And so you say like rank these channels. So what competitors, you know, what channels are competitors using to get traction? What channels are expensive? How much traction are you looking for? Like if you're trying to get a thousand customers, the channels that you would consider to get your first thousand customers are vastly different than the channels that you would consider to try and go from a hundred thousand to a million customers. And so you, we essentially like lay out what channels might work for you given your stage, given what your competitors are doing, and given how much money you have in the bank, frankly. Then you go through and you prioritize them. So if you're like a B2B SaaS company, you know, one thing you may want to test is content marketing. Like competitors are doing it, relatively cost effective, only cost your time and blog. Um, and it's been proven to work pretty well for the space. And so the next thing that you do, if you prioritize that and decided, you know, hey, this is a channel that we could potentially focus on and grow really well through. So the next phase is to run a test. So like run a cheap in terms of money or time test in on that traction channel and see like what comes back. So much like you would run a quick test on in product development, you'd run a similar test in a traction channel. And then lastly, after running some of these tests, you'll have a sense and metrics that show, you know, what channels actually make sense for your business to focus on. Now, one thing that I wonder about there is, can't you use sort of some of the best practices that currently exist? So you just said, for example, for B2B SaaS, there'd be content marketing as a channel that you want to use. Can you not just sort of bet on that? Or do you really want to go test all of the different channels? Yeah, so the reason that you don't want to bet on that, uh, so again, it's very similar to Lean Startup. Like there are certain people who make really good product decisions, like Steve Jobs, for example, makes very, very good product decisions. For sure, there are companies and entrepreneurs who do that. For the most part, though, uh, content marketing is changing rapidly. Like if you started a blog today, you have a much lower likelihood of succeeding than you did six months ago even just because the space is getting more crowded. You know, there aren't really a bunch of new distribution channels popping up around blog post distribution, all of this stuff. And so what you want to see is like, how well does this channel right now perform in terms of getting me in front of potential customers? And that's why you want to run the test. And the other thing is like, yeah, you can probably assume, I mean, even if you assume like content marketing works well, there are still other channels that could potentially work better, you know? Like if you spent that time instead of focusing on content marketing and did something and just like really drilled down on Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or, you know, outbound sales or one of these things, like there's a pretty good chance that one of those channels actually outperforms content marketing. Does that make sense? Totally. So in your book, you actually go through a bunch of case studies and from your own personal experience, you've worked with companies helping them out with their marketing efforts. What I wanted to discuss was maybe a few of them. And one of them that you mentioned earlier was actually RunScope. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to talk about that a little and tell us what, what went on there? 
Uh, yeah. In, in what sense? Like, where do you want me to dive in? I believe you mentioned uh, tool-based marketing, but I'd love to hear just how, you know, uh, an instance of how they uh, grew their business uh, leveraging the tool-based marketing. Yeah, so tool-based marketing is something that in the book we call engineering as marketing, but it's basically like using engineering resources to attract customers. So a great example of this is HubSpot. So if you've seen the HubSpot marketing grader, uh, I think you're familiar with it, Nick, but basically companies can enter their URL and the HubSpot Marketing Grader is an automated tool that provides them feedback around what they're doing well in terms of marketing, like SEO, social media presence, all of this stuff, and what they could potentially improve. And so what they did is they took this engineering work, built this tool, and now it's responsible for something like 60% of their inbound leads per month, which is in the like 30 to 40,000 leads per month range, which is insane. And so Runscope has done something similar. So Runscope is basically a developer tool. They do uh, error reporting and API debugging around uh, developers who work with APIs. And so they created a couple different community projects, like different tools that communities could use, like hurl.it, requestbin, uh, all these different things that are super, super relevant to developers and that help get the Runscope, Runscope name out there. So all of these tools are things that like are really useful for developers in their day-to-day -day work, but not necessarily something that they would pay for as a standalone product. So instead of just building this and rolling it into the product, Runscope has done stuff where they've built these tools, made them freely accessible, and then just provided some branding around, you know, Runscope is this tool is sponsored by Runscope or whatever. And so uh, in a very short period of time, so Runscope started about a year ago, a year and a half ago, these, the collective traffic of these tools is actually greater than Runscope's. And it is one of the best sources of user acquisition, not only because like you're reaching the target market, you're giving them value, but also because it's such a valuable tool that it automatically leads to positive associations with, uh, between the potential customer and what Runscope is doing. You know, because if someone uses one of these tools, they're like, wow, this is, this is really useful, even beyond, uh, you know, if, if this free tool is this useful, like I'm sure Runscope, the paid version is even better, you know? Yep. So it's basically tools as editorial versus uh, creating content. They created automated content. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if you look at content marketing, like blog posts are, it's, it's just a crowded category. And so what is actually valuable, like the, the barrier to creating something valuable that actually resonates with people and spreads is just getting higher. And so that means, in my opinion, like if you wanted to pursue content marketing as a channel, like you need to either make better you know, design, have like better design, better data, or use engineering to build these tools that are valuable and will spread on their own. That makes a lot of sense. I've actually been working on some tools myself, but uh, it's a strategy that I've seen used before. I've leveraged before. I, I can't speak highly enough about tool-based marketing. The only requirement is you need an engineer on staff who can take the time to develop those tools. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, okay. So that's one of how many distribution channels did you say are mentioned in the book? Uh, 19. Okay. So there's 19. We have a couple other case studies that I wanted to dive into. And from that standpoint, we'll just move on. So 
Uh, Airbrake was another one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually specifically mentioned the uh, retargeting pixels. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so retargeting is basically a way that it's, it's a tool you can use where a visitor hits your website and then they see more ads for your product or service on other sites and other places they go on the internet. And so retargeting just in general uh, works a lot better than other paid channels. Like it has better click-through rates, better CPAs, you know, all these things. And so what one thing that we did at Airbrake is we saw that this channel was just working really well for us. And so uh, most companies, I mean, so most companies don't actually use retargeting. The ones that do, it works really well. And so with retargeting, the issue is not like how well or will this work, it's more how can we get this channel to scale for us or get this tactic to scale for us. And so at Airbrake, one thing that we did is we found uh, a couple companies that played in the similar space. So targeted developers had, um, you know, had a SaaS tool and basically were trying to reach the same customers as we were. And so what we did there is we did a what's called a retargeting pixel swap. So basically, we allowed other companies that were targeting similar users to retarget our audience of developers uh, in exchange, you know, and we could do the same to theirs. So anyone who visited uh, this, uh, you know, another partner site, we could then retarget and vice versa. And after setting that up, we saw similar, we saw like basically the same CPAs that we saw from retargeting visitors that actually hit our site. And we just had basically three times as much traffic. So it was a really, really big win. So retargeting, it works. We've seen it. Yeah. Uh, in, in this case, uh, the, the really powerful aspect was, was that it wasn't just retargeting from your own site. You'd partnered with other sites uh, in order to gain access to their audience as well. And it ended up being mutually beneficial. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's one tool, Perfect Audience, that I can't speak highly, highly enough of. It's, it makes this doing this sort of pixel swapping really, really easy. So they even have, uh, it's a beta feature, I believe. It may have just been pushed uh, fully featured. But basically, they make it really easy for you to ask to uh, uh, other companies that are in your space to just do a pixel swap and retarget each other's visitors. So if you guys, you know, if anyone is interested in using that tactic, I highly recommend checking out Perfect Audience. Yeah, I've looked at them as well. And I think Noah Kagan also has been promoting them uh, via his own blog post. But yeah, it's definitely a very cool tool. All right. So we went over retargeting. We discussed tool-based marketing. Let's move on to another example. Uh, Obviously, we don't have time for every single distribution channel that you mentioned. Yeah. But we'll go after another so you actually also mentioned on our call earlier uh, a YouTube client that you had that increased their email subscribers by making a few adjustments. What, what did they do? Yeah, so that one's interesting. So basically, YouTube is a very gameable platform right now. And so uh, this one guy had several hundred videos you know, none of which were ranking super well, none of which were getting a lot of organic views. And they were just kind of up there, maybe getting like five to 10 views a day. No traffic was coming back to his site. So what I did is I went through and optimized the titles and some of the keywords 
and did some other stuff to get these videos to rank higher. So traffic went up like 800% in four weeks, which is pretty nuts. Well, views for on YouTube, sorry. And then we also added targeted annotations and added links to the descriptions so that people who viewed YouTube, like these YouTube videos, not only were more people viewing them, but we created calls to action and annotations that allowed people to click from YouTube and land on this guy's site, which is where he wanted to drive conversions. And so we saw a 1400% increase in traffic driven to the site, you know, in, again, in a four week span, which is just insane. And so YouTube, like a YouTube video basically has a 52 times higher chance of ranking for a given term than a blog post does. Uh, and so it's, it can be a really good channel, especially for someone who's just starting out who you know, wants to rank for certain keywords, but if they try and do that organically using SEO, it'll just take a long time. And so that, that was just a, a really big win for us. I mean, the first thing that pops into my head when you describe that is I got to start churning out as many YouTube videos on every single keyword that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, so it is, I mean, you could, <laughs> honestly. Like, it is pretty gameable right now. I think, Justin, we should stop everything we're doing. You and I, we get together, we brainstorm some video <laughs> ideas, and we just make millions off of, uh, <laughs> off, off of YouTube videos. Yeah, I mean, there are people doing this. Like, if you look at how to build a website or something like that, the top, some of the top search results are YouTube videos, and those guys are making tons of money just doing referral fees or getting uh, affiliate commissions from directing people to like, sign up for a web host or whatever it is. So they just put it in the description link like the person that you just mentioned. Yeah, they'll put it in the description link or have it as an annotation, which are the little things that pop up when you're watching a video. Or they will just make it so that, uh, you know, they'll have something at the end of the video that's like, hey, check out more resources at X URL or whatever and drive them to like a landing page. So is YouTube one of the distribution channels mentioned in your book? Uh, so YouTube falls into an existing platform, basically. So we have like a bunch of different uh, channels mentioned and YouTube is like a platform where there's already a lot of activity and engagement, kind of like the App Store or the Google Play Store or whatever, where if you put something on the platform, there are ways that you can pull traction from that platform, you know, versus like something like content marketing, which is starting and creating a post on your site and then having to push it into the world. Okay. So we have existing platforms. So that could be things like Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, exactly, whatever you want to use. What are, actually, before we jump into any other case studies, I'm actually curious, what are the other, the other channels? Yeah, so the 19 channels. So one is virality, public relations, unconventional PR, which is like stunts and stuff like that, uh, search engine marketing, mostly AdWords, social and display advertising, online, offline ads, SEO, content marketing, email marketing, engineering is marketing, which is the tool-based marketing we chatted about earlier, uh, target market blogs, business development, sales, affiliate, existing platforms, trade shows, offline events. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Those are a lot of them. I actually want to find out individually. So you mentioned, so I, I got existing platforms, virality. Can you explain what you mean by virality? Yeah, so, you know, uh, Basically, companies whose default mechanism of user acquisition is 
getting users to share content and spread content to one another. So for example, you know, PayPal, like I said earlier, they did, they basically had a referral program where a user would send $10 to another uh, and they would get $10 back. And that was like a viral mechanism that a user spread to another user and then he would spread it to like five more of his friends and that just kept growing, you know? And so you've seen that in stuff like Instagram has grown pretty virally. Uh, so, you know, like Twitter has done pretty well. LinkedIn had a bunch of viral mechanics. Uh, apps do this a lot. And so it's been a, it's a good, it's a good channel for mostly consumer web type stuff. Now the channel ultimately ends up being uh, sort of endpoints like SMS or email though, correct? Yeah. So the, the mech, like the way that virality is delivered is through these different devices, you know, so SMS, email, whatever, but the mechanism, which is kind of what we're, fo we focus on in the book is viral spread. Okay. So we have existing platforms, virality, PR, we all know what that is. Did you dis make a distinction between traditional PR and stunt-based PR? Yeah, we did. So basically there are things that fall into traditional PR. So, you know, we know what that are that is. And then other stuff like doing stunts is not really traditional PR. And then we also talked about uh, customer success. So like some of the stuff that Zappos does with their customers around customer appreciation, uh, you know, and all of this that generates a lot of goodwill and spread among groups of customers, but that isn't necessarily traditional PR. Okay, so we have PR stunts, SEO, I think everyone knows what that is. Yeah. Uh, social, mm -hmm. we understand that. So you said social ads and display ads, so basically ads. Yeah. And then offline, I'm not quite sure what, is that like billboards? Yeah, offline ads, like Bus ads, taxi ads, billboards, radio, TV, all of that. I mean, is there actually a story of someone that that was their primary distribution channel and they killed it? Oh, yeah. I mean, so a lot of products like, um, what is it, the P90X guys, like TV was their main mechanism. And, you know, they're a $800 million company. And they started from nothing, focused entirely on TV, specifically infomercials, and then uh, blew up. And other than that, like most most companies that use TV and offline ads are doing it are like larger brands where they've essentially run out of kind of ways to scale one off user acquisition through paid and other channels. Uh, and so, you know, they need they put money in other spaces that reach larger audiences, but that are less measurable. Got it. OK, so we also have email. We, everybody knows about that. Yep. Uh, Tool-based marketing. We discussed that earlier. Yep. What were the other ones? Yeah. So uh, AdWords. And then, AdWords. Yep. So Con AdWords is different than uh, social or display advertising. So that's search advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And then content marketing, targeting certain blogs. So like doing targeted reach out, guest posts, uh, basically like influencer marketing. And so influencer marketing, you're making a distinction between that and content marketing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, content marketing, again, is like very much you are responsible for bringing in your audience, whereas influencer marketing is leveraging existing audiences to, you know, get your product or brand in front of them. Okay. Business development, which is like partnerships and joint ventures and that, sales, 
affiliate programs, uh, existing platforms, which like Google Play Store, Android Store, App Store, Facebook, Twitter at this point, offline events, so things like conferences, trade shows, speaking engagements. Uh, so, you know, speaking engagements around these things that's generally used for like corporate and enterprise sales. And then community building is the last one. So like a community, a company like Yelp or Wikipedia that grew really, really quickly by focusing and leveraging their community. Now, with some of these other things, it sounds like to me it would be a more challenging thing to do a thorough test. So event-based marketing, for example. I mean, I guess if you have venture funding, you may want to experiment with sponsoring an event or something like that. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it doesn't seem like some of those channels, primarily offline events, uh, speaking engagements, I guess you can get those via a PR person, uh, and community building. Those are things that require far more investment. Like not each one of these distribution channels are created equal. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, and so what we're trying, what we offer in the book is like a couple of different ways you can test each of them. So for example, uh, you know, offline events, like if you were an SEO company, you know, one thing that you could do is maybe instead of throwing a massive conference, multi-day thing, you could just simply hold a meetup and like see, you know, get one or two speakers, see how many people come, see if there's good engagement and if there's more demand for these types of events, you know? And so there are much smaller things you can do to see essentially like whether people or whether the market responds to what you're doing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So we've heard about all the distribution channels. We gave a shout out to the book. Uh, we had a couple of examples of of different um, different case studies where we could discuss. Let's actually throw in one more for good measure. So uh, you mentioned there were a few. There's a bunch in your book. Which one is your favorite? So I really, really like the Evernote one. That is, yeah, that's my favorite case study in the book. It, so let's talk about it. Tell me. Yeah. So Evernote. Uh, so if you guys, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a note-taking app. Uh, it's got millions of users, valued at multiple billions of dollars at this point. Uh, but basically what they did is, you know, they're a free product for the most part that some tiny number of people, I think it's like one or 2% of their users end up paying for. And so what that meant is like, it rules out a lot of the paid acquisition channels because they just, you know, the math doesn't work. Like if only 1% of your users end up paying you and that's only after a year, then you basically can't spend any money profitably to acquire someone. And so what they focused on is getting, they focused on existing platforms and leveraging these platforms to grow. And so in practice, that meant that when something like the app store launched, when the iPhone came out, they killed themselves to like be first, one of the first apps on the platform. And so obviously being one of the first apps on the app store led to hundreds of thousands and millions of downloads. And so that strategy has worked incredibly well for them. On the flip side, what they also did is they replicated the strategy across every new platform because they didn't know which ones would take off. And so for example, when the Windows 7 phone came out, uh, they were one of the first apps on the Windows 7 uh, phone platform. And that was a complete flop. Like for sure that was not worth the time and the effort they put into being one of the first apps on there. But taken as a whole, 
all of the effort that they've spent to try and be first to these different platforms has added up and made them one of the more valuable app companies in the world. Awesome. So be first to the platforms that paid off uh, immensely for Evernote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you, so they also applied this step within these platforms. So what they did is, you know, once they were first on the Apple store, uh, they, as that channel grew and more and more people got iPhones and iPads and all of this stuff, they did other things to increase the number of downloads that they were getting from this channel. So they released things like Evernote Peak, which was a study guide app. And so, you know, their, their normal app is one of the first ones in the productivity section of the App Store. With this new app, they were one of the top ranked in the studying and educational category. They saw that drove, again, hundreds of thousands of downloads, being at the top of a category within a larger existing platform. They did this again with like Evernote Food. They released and then they like had, they were at the top of the food category, which again, hundreds of thousands of downloads. And then they did other things like had released an Evernote Christmas version of food and all of this to kind of capitalize on demand trends that were on these existing platforms. And it's been their main growth mechanism and they have just blown up to you know, millions and millions of users at this point. So milk the platforms for all they're worth. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, we're actually hitting the end of our time now. So what I actually would be great to find out is how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, check out tractionbook.com. Uh, so my email is on there. Uh, otherwise, I'm on Twitter at JW Mares. You know, we'll happily respond to anyone who reaches out. I love to chat about this stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Justin. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Turn from dark to light and keep the music going Keep the good times rolling And now I'll never let it stop You'll only find me growing